Jesus Christ. You are our Lord, our Saviour. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Lord, we give our hearts to you this morning, Lord, afresh, knowing that you have beautiful plans for us, Lord, plans that would cause us to prosper, to give us a future and a hope, Lord. You are our hope, Lord. You are our bright, shining star. Lord, we look to you. We hold firm to your promises. And Lord, we say yes and amen to you. Yes and amen. Lord, I pray, Father God, that you would come, as we come around your word this morning, Lord, Lord, that your spirit would be here, Lord, ministering to our hearts, pulling down the strongholds that people have in their hearts, false beliefs that stand contrary to your word. So I thank you, Lord, that you are here, you're present, and you're going to do mighty, mighty works in this house today. There's going to be deliverance. People are going to set free. New ideas, Lord. Fresh hope, Lord, this morning, today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as you take your seat, turn to someone and say, I'm so happy to be sitting next to you. Wonderful. Well, today God has given me a message called Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. I'm excited. Let me just set the stage right for you. Many people believe that God should just come and fix things. From outside of this world, he should just come and intervene. But God, when he actually created this world, he created man. And when he gave he gave man authority over the world. This world has been given to us to rule and reign over. And yet Adam, the first man, was deceived by sin and was challenged. Did God really give this to you? Is, this, is God really is he holding back? And so mankind found themselves lost and separated from God's plan and purposes because sin entered into the world. Now, God's word cannot be revoked. He's made a statement. He said he's given mankind dominion over the world. He's given that to you and me. And we find ourselves in a place, this fallen world, that we find ourselves sold out to sin, sold out to struggle, sold out to fear, sold out to the enemy. And we find ourselves in this tragic place that we're lost and we're separated from the goodness of God. But God knew this was going to happen. And our God did the most amazing thing. Our God is the God of the impossible. And our God chose to take the, the form of man in coming to earth as Jesus Christ to come and deliver us, to set us free. Why was it Jesus? Why did he need to come as a man? Because God had given authority to mankind. So we needed that representative to set us free. How good is God that he's actually decided to become one with us? I heard an argument the other day of a, a, a street preacher was talking to uh, someone of another faith and this guy says, are you saying that Jesus was God and then Jesus died, so therefore God died and he couldn't understand the concept that Jesus came as a spirit, as you and I, a spirit, soul and body, 
Jesus came as a spirit because the scripture tells us that God is spirit. And so Jesus' is spirit is the spirit of God in man. Jesus was actually 100% man, body, soul and spirit, but he was 100% God. His spirit was purely God. So when he died on the cross, his body died, his soul descended into hell, but his spirit lived through the whole situation. Spiritually, Jesus didn't die. It was his body and his soul that actually succumbed to death. And it was the price was paid for our redemption. How beautiful is God? He has a purpose and a plan. But now, the enemy would consider to tell us that you and I aren't worthy. Who in this house can put your hand up and tell me that you're perfect? Put your hand up. I'm going to be bold. And so I'm perfect. Anybody bold enough to say I'm perfect? What? Can't you say you're perfect? Oh, no, no, no. But you're like, for years and years and years, we hear you proud and arrogant person, you know, if you put your hand up. But we actually consider our perfection in our behaviour. But God, through Jesus Christ, has done a work in all of us to bring about his perfect plan, his perfection, and it comes to us through Jesus Christ. My uncle, when I was a young boy, my uncle had an old car. It was an English car. And when the cars were first created, this car was in 1908, 1908, All Days and Onions. Who's heard of that brand of um, motor car? All Days and Onions. No, nobody's heard of that? And All Days and Onions. You've heard of an All Days and Onions? Well, in the British, when the, when the motor, motor industry started in England... All these coach builders who used to make horse and carri- you know, horses carriages started making vehicles. And so if your horse and carriage name was All Days and Onions, the two names of these, you know how they always have those strange, you know, the, the pubs always got two names, the fox and the hare and all that kind of stuff. That's a pommy thing. Anyway, so they all built these cars and they were individually made, handcrafted cars. Well, this car was sitting in my uncle's backyard out in parks, I can remember going there, and all it was was the chassis, the engine and the drivetrain, and it was all sitting underneath a bit of corrugated iron, and every now and then when we'd visit, my uncle would go over there, he'd turn it over, and the pop, 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 that car was going. To my uncle, that car was perfect, and you think, it's a, it's a pile of rubbish, and that old car, back then, when your car was no good for being on the road, in the country, you'd turn it into a paddock basher. Anyone familiar with a paddock basher? That's when you get the old car and your kids fang it around the yard and you're driving it over ploughed fields and all the likes like that. You really didn't give a rip whether it was, you know, survived or not. Well, this poor old car was sitting there for all my uncle's working days. But when he retired, he decided, I'm going to bring that car back to life. And he actually pulled it to pieces and he rebuilt it. The suspension was absolutely shot. The, the axles were bent from going over these paddocks. You had to do everything to pull it together. But for him, it was perfect. Why? Because he knew that he could bring it to life. He had a reason. He had a purpose. He had a vision and a dream. When God looks at you and me, you might consider yourself a bit of an old paddock basher. You've gone through a few bumps and ruts and you've been a bit mistreated. Maybe, you know, you've been built, made for the blokes around here who like their motorbikes. You're actually built to be a beautiful speedway bike. 
but you've been out there doing, going trail bike riding with us. It's not right, is it? You're made for a purpose. God has a purpose for us. He has a purpose and a plan, a perfect, perfect, perf- perfect, perfect plan. That's what I'm trying to say, something like that. But that's okay, see in my, I'm still perfect, even though I make mistakes, because God, God's got a plan for me. He's got a plan for you and me. He, he's got a plan for every single one of us, a perfect plan, and you're the perfect recipient for it. Turn to one another and say, God's got a perfect plan for you because you're perfect. You are perfect. Now, can I ask you now, before, can I ask you now, who's perfect? I'm ready. Bring it on, God. I'm perfect for you to do your work and do your thing and your plans for my life. Are you perfect? Let's not consider the things we've done in the past because Jesus has looked after that. He's dealt with that because he knows you and his perfect, perfect plan for you is perfection. This is exciting stuff, isn't it? You didn't think you'd hear that from the pulpit today. I think I can sit down now. That's it. Thank you very much. John 14, 6, we read this. John answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus is the perfect plan for us. And he will bring to us the way, the truth, and the life. You know, this world has another plan. It has a way. It has a truth. It has a life. And those plans, those things that the the world would have for us, they don't do us any good. Because you weren't created for it. You weren't created for it. We have been created for eternity. We're just passing through this planet. Larry Norman, back in the 70s, wrote a song that says, I'm only, I have an album called Just Visiting the, This Planet. We're just passing through. We've got 70 sort of years, and some of us are nudging at that end. Some of us are at the beginning. Some of us are in the middle. But can I tell you this? So it's 120 now. Do I hear 120? Do I hear more than 120? 120, 120, 120, 120, 120, 140, 140, 140, I said to my mother, I said to my mother in her, in her 90s, I said, Mum, I want you to live to be 100 because I want you to set a precedent for me because I want to live to be over 100. And my mum said, Roger, don't say that to me. You have no idea what it's like with all my aches and pains. So I sort of think, mm, yeah, maybe, you know, like, you know, eternity actually is something fantastic to look forward to, you know, and God has a, has a plan for each and every one of us. And some of us, you know, our lives can get cut a lot shorter than what we expect. But we need to be ready right now. We need to be ready. Like today, Jesus can come tomorrow and I'm ready. I'm good for it. I'm ready. Are you ready? Yep. I'm ready that Jesus yep. comes. But you know what? He, but if he doesn't, I'm ready for that. Okay, I'm okay with that as well. Because Jesus said he is the, the way, the truth and the life. And I want to live my life his way, believe in him as my truth. Did you know that truth isn't a thing, it's a person? Truth is a person. If you get to know the person, guess what? You'll get to know the truth. You get to know the person, you get to know the truth. And it's the truth about everything. What? Get to know the person, you'll get to know the truth, and you'll get to know the truth about everything. Because God created this world with his perfect plan and the reason for this world to be. This world has been set up beautifully by our God to sustain life 
Does anybody know of another planet in the whole universe that can contain life? There's not one that's been found. This globe, has been, this world is turning in the middle of space, rotating around the sun, the perfect distance away from the sun, so we don't melt, we don't get too hot. We have this moon that spins around the world that creates tides and makes our seas wash out. And, we, and here in New South Wales, we've got the best beaches. Because yeah. yeah. those big waves churn the sand and make sure it's fresh and clean and we can lie down there without being grey muck and slime. Our God has made, a, made this place ready for us. He has prepared a table for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He has given us life, and life more abundant. And that life isn't one that we're waiting for when we pass away, but it's a life that we can experience now. We are eternal beings, created for eternity, but to experience God now, and live a rich life now, and to establish His kingdom now, and reign in this world now. But we have this terrible conundrum that we still have sin knocking at the door. This old taskmaster who would want you to, to drift aside and not trust in God. And he's constantly tugging at us, poking at us. The world will try to drag you away. Your own heart sometimes, you've got desires that are contrary to God and you actually need to bring them into submission to God. We so need a redeemer. We need someone to restore us, to bring us back Redemption is the promise of God to deliver us from the power and presence of sin. And who can, tell, who can share with me, you know, the power of sin? I can tell you that this power of sin sometimes takes hold of us. It wants to draw us aside, to separate us from God. Because of the ache in our heart, the brokenness that we have all feel, we want to self-medicate. We want to do something deep set inside us. We want to feel good. And so we can take hold of things of this world thinking, that'll make me feel good. That will make me feel good. Oh, maybe that will make me feel good. But we take those things and it doesn't last. Have you noticed those things that the enemy would say, have this, take hold of this, and this will make you happy. You'll be so... And you take hold of it and it might be there's excitement and joy in it, but it dissipates. And you think, oh, no, we need to have another fix. And so we find ourselves in the cycle of addiction there, where we feel down, we go and take our fix, then we get ashamed or it doesn't fulfill us and we just keep going around and around in the cycle. But my Jesus, his promise is life and life more abundant that when we actually come to him and we are all here today because we want to hear from God, we want to receive him, we want to worship him. There is a transaction taking place in this place here because this is a place where heaven meets earth. This place is a consecrated altar where we can come to God and receive his life, receive his promises and his acceptance. He is our redeemer. To be redeemed is to be forgiven, made holy, we're justified, we're free, we're adopted and we're reconciled. We need this kinsman redeemer, Jesus, that man who is one of us, in Leviticus 25, 25, we read this. This is where the idea of the kinsman redeemer comes from. It says, If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. 
Here it is. This is the principle set by God that we can have a kinsman to come and set us free from the bondage. Now, back then, there was a season that if you... God established this law for the Israelites. He said, number one, this land of Israel belongs to me. Can I actually set us all straight that this world belongs to my God? This world belongs to my God. And there's people out there claiming, oh, no, this is mine and this is mine. And they f- we're fighting all over the world, even... You know, back in Israel, there's fighting over the ownership of the land. But the truth is that God owns this world. He owns the land. Now, you may be actually paying a wonderful mortgage to the bank, you know, for ownership of your land. Can I tell you, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. It's really just paying rent for the block of land because ultimately it belongs to God. Okay? So, so we've got to understand that. But what happens is when, when back then... with the children of Israel, if they found themselves poor, they would find themselves that they'd have to sell, they may have to sell their land and they would find themselves in the place where they had no form of income. Well, God is a God of redemption and he set up a place that debts were already, you'd have a seven-year cycle and you'd get set free. There would be a 50-year cycle. People have heard of the year of Jubilee and that was where all the debts were set and it was a reset in society. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't we be going, woohoo! A reset, a reset. This total. Oh, tomorrow, this next year's the year of jubilee is a total reset. All the things that I've lost and had to sell and stuff like that—it's all going to come back to me. Well, Jesus came and he said he's come back to establish the year of jubilee. The year of jubilee. Now, it's not about land and property, but it's actually bringing back our proper place in the kingdom of God. That we get back everything that the enemy stole from us. And we are re-established back in a debt-free place that we owe nothing. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Our God is the God of jubilee. And we've got to have the jubilee spirit in us every single day. I'm free, I'm free, I'm living in jubilee. Something like that. that was, I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. Yes, you know. Okay, all right. Well, this kinsman, back to what I'm, back to my preach. Sorry, I digress sometimes. I get very excited up here because I, you know. Anyway, there are four, four requirements for a kinsman redeemer. Number one, they have to be kin. They have to be a relative. Now, we've just spoken about that, that Jesus is our relative. Jesus Christ is flesh, was flesh and blood for us. And did you know that Jesus now actually stands before the very throne of God intercessing for us as a man? He never cast aside his humanity and he stands there right now as a man pleading our case and the, de- the devil would come in and saying you can't accept that person and Jesus says no they're mine I paid the price that's my Jesus my kinsman so number one they have to be a kinsman Jesus is that you had to be willing you had to be fully able to redeem and you had to be able to pay the price in full in the Old Testament, there's quite a few examples of kinsman redeemer. The best known one is Boaz. Boaz was a, an Israelite whose, whose relative Naomi had been married and her husband and her sons passed away and she was left just with Ruth, her daughter-in-law. And God, through a whole circum- pile of circumstances, redeemed 
redeemed them back into the family because Boaz was, was the kinsman redeemer. He actually paid the price and actually those ladies who were, found themselves lost and separated from their inheritance for everything, that they, their identity, were actually brought back into the family through Boaz. The one I actually want to, the story I want to look at today is the story of Judah. In, in the tribes of Israel, there were 12 tribes. And we know the story of Joseph. Who knows the story of Joseph, who's been to Sunday school? The story of Joseph, how he was sold into slavery. Did you know that his brothers were going to kill him? And yet Judah actually was the one who said, great idea, let's sell him as a slave. He saved their, his life. He didn't think it, it, was, it wasn't a case where he went from bad to worse. It was like worse to bad. He actually did redeem him and gave him a second chance. He gave him life and set him on a journey that actually ultimately led him into the very palaces of Pharaoh and he was in the second in charge. Actually, it says he was equal in power to Pharaoh. Now, in this story, a drought comes and the children of Israel go up into Egypt and they want to come and receive supplies because there was no food in the land. And Joseph, we know, had this great dream about the coming um, famine and that they'd have seven good years and seven bad years. And so he had a plan to store up in the, in the silos and in all the cisterns in the country, in, in Egypt, to make sure there was enough food to go through this season. So they, so they went up and they met with Joseph and they didn't know who Joseph was. And Joseph had a bit of a plan. It's interesting, we think this great guy, Joseph, he had a little bit of plotting to do, a little bit of revenge. I think it was a little bit of um, passive aggression that he actually had, that he actually wanted to actually make these guys suffer for what they'd done to him. And he planted a goblet. His cup was put into the sack of his younger brother, Benjamin. And he sent his servants out when they were moving away he came and he actually brought them back, opened up the sack and there was this goblet and Benjamin was seen as being the guilty one. But it was a setup. Now in that situation, he said, oh, you can all go back to your father but I want, want Benjamin to, to stay here with me. And Judah knew the father's heart. He knew the fa his father had actually already lost one son. His father thought that Joseph had passed away. So he had, he had grieved that and he absolutely adored Benjamin, his youngest. And, and Jesus go, man, I can't, he said to Joseph, I can't, I can't allow this to happen. It would break my father's heart. My father's a, an old man. He would die if he knew that Benjamin was taken away from him. And he says this, he says, take me instead. Take me, I'll stand in the place of Benjamin. I'll, I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price. Let him go. He's just a young guy. Let him go. I'm okay. I can, I can take it. And you know what that did? It broke Joseph's heart. And he said, man, I'm your brother. Because he saw the heart of Judah, someone who, who's willing to sacrifice even himself unto death. Does that remind you of a certain person? And that's my Jesus. Because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. Judah. My Jesus is a redeemer. And he comes from a lineage of that heart of redemption. To actually stand in the place and say, I'm willing to pay the price for another. And we men in this house, 
We are actually called as the men of this house to be those who are willing to stand in the gap for our brothers and sisters and our families and say, I'm going to spend my life to make sure that there's salvation in my house. I'm going to, I'm going to be a redeemer just like my Jesus is a redeemer. So here's Jesus. He came to be one like us. In John 1, 1 we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's Jesus up in heaven as God. And then, further down in the chapter we read, The Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. We have seen His glory, and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that, there's that word again, truth. That truth, He is true. I looked up a definition of truth and the one that really stood out to me is truth is that which ultimately is seen as being genuine. Who likes things that are genuine, the real thing, the real deal? And I tell you what, you cannot find out whether something's a real deal unless you actually put, the, put it to the time test. It takes time to find out, is this real? Is this true? Try it out. You've got to try it. You know, some of us like buying cars. You need to go and do a test drive on that car to find out whether the truth is whether it's as good as the manufacturer says it is. We need time to establish whether this is true or not. And this world would actually put forward a whole pile of different truths. And can I say, like, I have been a Christian this year, coming up, middle of this year, 50 years I've been a believer of Jesus Christ. Wow. Where did all the time go? <laughs> Whoosh! Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. But Jesus, he's proven himself as being genuine in my heart. He has proved himself for me. Has he proved himself to you to be genuine? Because this is the power of our testimony. Our power of our testimony is that, you know, he's really real. When you invite Jesus into your heart, he's actually present. He is with us. And he changes us. He says he's going to give us a, a, a new heart and take away that heart of stone. You know that heart that you really can't think about anybody else except yourself? But then you get this heart of flesh and you start to be like Jesus. And you've got compassion and concern for one another. And there are so many. There's, there's, a, there's list after list after list of all the promises of God that when you walk with God, you suddenly think, man, this stuff's real. His promises are true. They're genuine. Our Jesus is genuine. He's fully like us. He's experienced us. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. All the things that happen in our Christian lives, our walks, all of our walks, there are so many heartaches that we go through. Jesus has experienced those with us. He is our kinsman and he is a truthful man. His promises are yes and amen. And then Jesus as a redeemer, our kinsman redeemer, he was willing to do it. You know, no one forced him to actually go up on the cross. He willfully gave himself up. In Philippians 2, 5 to 8, we read this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, there's that likeness again, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You know, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels when he was standing before Pilate, but he didn't. He chose to resist that call upon his Godhead and the authority that he had. And he understood that he, wanted, he needed to be that sacrifice for us, to be our Redeemer, to pay the price that was over us. Because the scripture says that sin is punished by death. And that sounds like a pretty horrible sentence for us. But God knew that ultimately he gave him a way that he could send a redeemer who could pay the price. And that is our beautiful Jesus. John 10, 18, it says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus willfully gave himself up to be our redeemer. It was a free will sacrifice. No one, absolutely no one forced him. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he didn't say a word. Jesus is a great example for us. He understood that his God would, would restore him. He understood the promises of God. He laid down his will. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And he went there freely. You know, some of us want to actually fight for what's right for ourselves. Maybe... Maybe you should ask God to be your redeemer. That God needs to be the one who actually will sort things out. I've discovered he does a lot better job than I do. When I go and try to sort things out, I tend to muck it up. I can put my foot in it pretty quickly. But when we actually wait on God, either he'll give you a proper plan and strategy straight from God, or he'll actually say some really wise words like, just be quiet, just wait, be patient, grasshopper. Be patient. Some, some of us find that very hard. We've got to rush in and we've got, to, we've got to rescue. We've got to change things. Hey, maybe take a step back. If, it, if your life was an aeroplane, who's sitting in the pilot seat? Are you and God sitting in the back as your navigator? Maybe you should change your role and actually put Jesus back in the pilot seat where he belongs. We are the servant. He is the master. But he is a beautiful master who actually is led by example with free will sacrifice for us. Jesus is able to redeem us. The third point is uh, that he had what it take, took. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we only read, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, one of the miracles, I believe, when we look at... We've got Good Friday coming up. And on Good Friday, we know that Jesus died. But Jesus was a sinless man. He shouldn't have been able to die. Because you only die because of the punishments of sin. He was this perfect man who had no, had no punishment due him because he was sinless. So when he died on the cross... He didn't die on the cross because of his sin, the consequence of his things that he had done wrong. He actually, the scripture says he took on our sin. As our representative, a, a free representative said, I'll take that on to me. And he took on our sin. And when he carried that sin, his life was taken from him. 
The miracle was he should never have died. I think, I think, wow, that's really amazing. For a good man, shouldn't die, should he? No, that's not God's principle. But he was the perfect sacrifice for us. Because he didn't have to come in and put a sacrifice on the altar for himself like, the, like the, the priests used to do of old when they'd go into the Holy of Holies. They would be coming in with a sacrifice saying, I hope this covers me and all the rest of the guys out there. But Jesus actually went in there knowing full well. He went into the Holy of Holies knowing he was the perfect lamb without spot, without blemish. And he paid that price so that we, all of humanity, could get set free from the power of sin. That's worth standing up and giving an applause. Let's do that right now. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your supreme sacrifice. Our Redeemer, our kinsman Redeemer. Only you are worthy, Lord. The perfect Lamb of God. The perfect Lamb of God. How good is our God? Thank you, Jesus. It's a perfect, complete work. You may sit back down again. And the musos don't have to get up yet. That was just a little... Uh, you're ready, aren't you, to finish it up? But wait, there's more. I promise you, a block of flats in Tasmania and some steak knives as well. Hey, Jesus. He paid that full price for us. In, t- in Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So that price now is being paid. Jesus was capable of paying the price, but he actually was, and he was willing to pay the price. He was our kinsman, but he actually delivered the goods. He paid it. You know those people who say, yeah, I'll buy it. They might have the money, but they never deliver. But our God is a God who delivers. He paid the price. This is nah, and it's the complete price. No part payments, no laybys. We don't have to add anything to it. Turn to your neighbour and say, you don't have to add anything to it. Come on. You don't have to add anything to, to what Jesus has done for us. He was capable, able, and he did it. He paid the full price. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. It was what? I've paid the full price. I've paid the full price for us. What a beautiful saviour. What a beautiful saviour. We are fully, completely redeemed. Because of the work of the cross, because of our kinsman redeemer, we're forgiven. Paul says, For now there is no condemnation for Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We're set free. We're forgiven. We're forgiven. Do you believe you're forgiven? Or are you trying to appease God by trying to do more to get his attention, to get his acceptance? Can I tell you right now, throw yourself onto the mercy of Jesus, your Redeemer. Everything that you have comes from him. It's all from him. It's all from him. And Jesus has a plan for each and every one of us. The church is seen as being the bride of Christ. And when the bride comes and meets with the bridegrooms, everything that is the bridegrooms then becomes the brides. All of it. All of it. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has come to us 
is that beautiful kinsman redeemer. He comes in and he actually is a husband. He becomes the husbands of our souls. And everything that is his is now mine. And everything I have is his. And I do that in response. And it's a love journey. It's a dance of love. A dance of love. This is how we worship. This is how we worship. Because we actually, he loves us, so we love him back. We're not trying to win his love. Are you trying to win God's love? Can I tell you, stop it. There's no need to. He loves you because of Jesus. And we love him because of what he's done for us. What a praise. What a, be- what a beautiful gr- groom he is to the bride, his perfect bride. And he has made us holy. Holy. God has set us apart for his. We're no longer part of this world. We don't belong in this world. Have you ever, and anyone who's been walking the Christian walk and you feel, I really don't feel like I fit in very well in the world. Because you sort of think, but I'm not like this world. I, I'm a bit out of place in some ways. And we do, we live our life a bit out of place because we're holy. We're actually now citizens of heaven. We're set aside by God. Now you may judge yourself and say, oh no, Roger, if you knew what I'd do or what I'd thought, things I've been up to, can I tell you, that your holiness is not determined by that. Your holiness is determined by Jesus. And he has made you holy. He has separated you from this world. Now, you may be misusing your life at the moment. Can I say, today's a great day to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been misusing my life. I want to come back to you. I want my life to be a response to your love. And I love you and worship you in my whole life as a living sacrifice. Today is the day to do that. Come back to Jesus. If you're trying to drink from other wells, to try to, to soothe your soul in places that the world will say, do this and do that. No, 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 no. It's not fulfilling. The place to be fed, the place to be loved, the place to be secure is with Jesus. He is our, our beautiful groomsman, our kinsman redeemer. And it says, we are justified. We Our guilt has been absolutely taken care of. We've been released from the penalty of sin. Can you wake up every day now and actually understand that the blessings of God are new every morning? That I don't have to look over my back and be worried about my sins of the past, that my sins will actually determine my eternity separated from God. That's dealt with. And it's been fully paid. And I now can live for the future and live for today, not worrying about yesterday. And we're free We're free from the power of fear. We don't have to fear. The Bible says, fear not. And it's not a chastisement. It's more an encouragement. Hey, fear not. Hey, fear not, I'm with you. Fear not, I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. You're so special. You're just the perfect person for me. I've chosen you because you're perfect. I wanted one of you. I sought after one of you. I paid the price for you because you're perfect, because you fill my heart. That's what God's thinking right now. We're free from condemnation. We're free from the power of sin. And sin would knock at the door, say, come this way. And you can say, no, I'm not having anything to do with it because I'm I'm going to Jesus now. I'm not choosing that. People in the world that don't know Jesus, that knock goes and they just go there. Their nature is attuned to hear the call of sin. But... We've now got a new nature. God has planted a new nature within us. So when that knock comes, 
we can choose. I don't want to respond to it. And if you do respond to it and find yourself going down, you go, ugh, because it's no longer your nature. Once upon a time, you know, you, you go to a circus, they'll train dogs to jump all over, you know, through rings and all stuff like that. But ultimately, a dog's nature is to go back and be a dog. <laughs> they do doggy things, don't they, dogs? People are dog lovers. I tip my hat to you, you know. But dogs are dogs, aren't they? And you're never going to really change a, a dog. It's always ma- amazing that you can train it to do something that dogs don't do. But we have a nature. We had a nature, a sinful nature, an old nature, the old man. And the Bible says that God has given us a new nature. The old nature has been taken away. I'm not a schizophrenic Christian. I don't have two natures. I have one nature. And I stand in faith and confidence that this new nature has come to me because of my kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. And I can make wise decisions. Paul says this to the Corinthians, do you not know that Christ dwells within you? And we've been given the mind of Christ. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. That very spirit now is the very core of my being and my nature, that I have a God-like nature, the way God intended me to be when he first created the earth. And sin corrupted and took that out. But Jesus came back and restored us and renewed our spirit that we now have a a new nature. We have the nature of God inside us. Isn't that fantastic? We've been adopted. I actually really like the word adoption. I know sometimes, remember your family, if you ever in your family, you say, was I adopted? Because I don't look like anything of my siblings. I think I'm adopted. And it was like a negative thing. But adoption actually means chosen. You've been chosen. When you adopt something, you think, I want that. I'll become that. In the story of Boaz and Naomi and Ruth, Ruth adopted the faith of Naomi. She chose it, says, I want to be. I could go back to my, my tribe of origin, but I'm going to stay with you, Naomi, because I have adopted your ways. I have adopted your God. And we have been adopted by the Father through Jesus. He's he's chosen you. You are chosen by God. It didn't just happen. He chose you. Can you get that through? Can Can I get that through to you? You've been chosen. It's like that's the TV program, The Chosen. We are the chosen. We are the ones who have been adopted. This is because of Jesus. We have been reconciled. Paul says this, he says in Romans, Romans 5, he says, reckon that sin is dead within you, that no longer has any power over you. I'll get the musos up now, thank you. And you're doing very well by yourself there, thank you, Gail, but I just wanted a little bit more, that'd be good. I just distracted myself. Oh, dear. And it was a good point that was coming there, and I shouldn't interrupt myself. Can you hear what I'm saying? Jesus, he is a redeemer. He has redeemed you. He has paid the full price for you. He delights in you. He considers you to be perfect. He has a place for you. It's a place in his heart. It's a place in the Father's house as well. I get you to stand up right across this room right now.
want today that you actually shift your confidence in yourself and shift your confidence into Jesus. And then shift your confidence from that place there. We can actually shift our confidence in who we are into what Jesus says we are. That you're fully acceptable because of what Jesus did. As a man, he paid the price that a man had to pay for us. You've been set free. We no longer have to live like those who don't know God, but we now are drawn into his family, fully accepted. He's paid the full price for us. That means he fully, fully, completely values you. The enemy may be saying to you, you're worthless, you're not worth anything. Can I tell you that's a lie? That you're worth the very blood of Jesus Christ when he hung on that cross. He paid the full price for you to redeem you. And you might feel, I don't feel like I belong. Can I tell you that Jesus has adopted you? You've been chosen. You belong to Jesus. And no one has any other say. The enemy who would want to come and kill, steal and destroy you would want to actually steal you out of the fold. But don't let him, the Bible says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And we need to resist the devil. Resist him. Resist him, because we now are safe. We belong with Jesus for all eternity. Now, you may be here today, and you've never asked Jesus, our, our kinsman redeemer, into our heart. We need to come and actually surrender our lives. It's this year, today, if you've never done that, and said, Lord, I want you. I want everything you've done for me. But I want to receive that. And that happens with an agreement with him saying, Lord, I surrender to you. I give my life to you because I now see that you have a purpose for my life and that is to live with you, to be related to you. So if that's you in this house, I want every eye closed and every head bowed across this room. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour, would you pop your hand up right now and say, yes, Roger, that's me. I'd like to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Saviour. Is there anyone here today? Maybe you've been away from God. Maybe you've been dabbling in things of the world and you feel those things. The thing is that when you actually sin, it creates a separation. It says that sin leads to death and death is actually creates a... When we have sin in our lives, we find we're separated from God. It's got that feeling. You need to return to God today. If that's you, do you want to return to God? Put your hand up and say... Yes, Roger, I want to return back to God. I've been partaking in this world and I want to come back into the household of God. Or maybe you think you're going to heaven, you hope you're going to heaven, you, you think you're okay, but you're not sure. You don't have an assurance of your salvation. When we ask Jesus into our heart, we know that we know that we know that we're okay with God, that our lives are right with Him. If that's you today, today is the day where I want to pray with you to make sure that you are certain, that you have an assurance of your heart that you're right with Jesus and your eternity is taken care of and that God wants you to be close to him. So let's pray this right across the room together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came as our kinsman redeemer. Lord, you have set us free from the power of sin and death. Lord, we freely come to you as a free will offering 
all that I am is yours. And Lord, I receive everything you have as a blessing into my life that I might be a blessing to others. Thank you, Lord, that I am free, that I am valued, and Lord, I belong with you. Amen. Amen. Why don't we just sing this song through? The Lord is so good. Can you feel the grace, the grace, the grace that comes from the Word of God, the truth that just fills your very being? Even as